March 15th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beta and Daf Yod Aleph, Amud Aleph. If you count from the bottom of the Amud up, it's six lines up, the second word on the line. Says the Gemara Tanur Rabbanan, Aberaita, En Molchine Tahalavin, Ve'en Mahapechin Bahem. The Halakha is when it comes to Yom Tob, of course, by, by extension, Shabbat, En Molchine, you're not allowed to salt and do any of the necessary process in order to preserve. Chelev. Chelev, of course, is the forbidden fat in animals, which the Torah describes in Vayikra Perik Gimal. In such a circumstance, what you're dealing with is something which is not Zorich Yom Tov. There's no necessity of having that fat on the holiday, because you wouldn't be able to eat it anyway. And as a result, it's forbidden to even engage in what might be a rabbinic violation of ibud, of dealing with meat as opposed to skin and leather, but that's prohibited. There's no sort of Yom Tov. Of course, you might question. We, we remember just recently, in the Gemara, I will question this in a moment, that the halakha is you're allowed to spread out, we saw it in our Mishnah, according to Beit Hillel, the hide of an animal in order for people to walk over on the holiday. And of course, there's nothing that you're going to per se be benefiting in the traditional sense over the course of the holiday. So why is that permitted? The reason that's permitted is because we don't want a person to prevent, we don't want a person to be prevented from slaughtering by saying, oh, there's going to be a financial loss in this slaughtering because I slaughtered on the holiday, I won't be able to enjoy the hides, the skin and the leather of this animal, and I'm gonna abstain from doing so. Why should this be any different? Of course, you might ask in, 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 in protest, What's a person going to use the chelev for? Well, the answer to that is apparently once upon a time quite simple. They used it for all sorts of things, as soaps. They used it as candles, or ways of uh, lighting, lighting fire, and so on and so forth. But not items that you're going to be doing on the holiday. You're doing it kedesh lo yasviach is the lashon of the lashon. You're doing it so it won't spoil, which is similar to the hides. Yes. Yes. Good. Says the Gemara again, not only can you not assault them, you're not allowed to turn them around in order to air them out. Whatever it is that a person would do in order to preserve so that they don't spoil, so that they don't rot, these fats is prohibited on the holiday. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, it's not Sorech Yom Tov, and as a result, it's Mukseh, sure. Mishum Rabbi Yoshua Amru, Shotan Baruach Al Gabe Yetedot. Rabbi Yoshua says, you might not be able to, I admit to the first part, you can't do those things, but what you can do is, you could spread them out, um, those fats, and so that the wind comes, and in turn, the wind will in some way preserve them. So it's not that you're turning them upside down and inside out, it's not that you are salting them, but you're rather shotan, you're spreading it out and allowing for the air to do that. You're not allowed to turn it over in a purposeful action. If you're picking it up in order to spread it out, the rabbis are permitting, according to the Yoshua, Mishum Simchat Yom Tov. I mean, that's it. Well, you, you don't have to leave it in its place per se if it's disgusting. So you put it in the garbage. Uh, you move it out of the way. Amar Rav Matna halacha kerbi Yoshua. Rav Matna's statement here is that the halacha is like Yoshua. Ikade amre again that you're allowed to be shoteh baruach that you're allowed to spread it out in the wind in the airy area. 
there's a different version. Quite the opposite. It's not like Rabbi Yoshua, rather like the first opinion recorded in the Biraita, where there's no permissibility, and as Nathan said, you just need to move away the fats. Says the Gemara, let's break down each of these versions. Bishlama, it's understood. The first version, which was uh, purportedly saying that the halacha is like Rabbi Yoshua, it was necessary to make such a comment. I'll tell you why it was necessary. Generally speaking, you would have thought to say, Yahid v'rabim halacha k'rabim. Generally speaking, we go based on the majority. Ahare rabim lahatot is applicable, according to the rabbis, in the context of halacha as well. We scale, we determine whose opinion we're going to follow, oftentimes based on which is the majority and which is the minority opinion. As a result, if it's Yoshua going up against blanket statement or blank statement, which we assume is the rabim, it's novel, it's an important thing, it's a chidush, you tell me, I would have thought it's like the majority opinion. And so then there's something significant about commenting on that beraita and stating, listen, I know what you read in the beraita, you might be misled to think that halakha is not like Rabbi Yoshua. No, I'm telling you halakha is kid Rabbi Yoshua. Ela, but what about according to the second version? The mandamar en halakha peshita, yachid v'rabim halakha k'rabim. The second version that the halakha doesn't follow Rabbi Yoshua, that's what each of us would have said. We would have opened to this beraita, we would have recited or heard it recited in front of us, and we would have said, who's halakha follow? We didn't even need a statement. Of course it goes like the majority. You needed a statement here of Rav Matna in the second version to say in halacha kirbi Yehoshua says the Gemara mahu detema maybe you would have said mistaber ta'ame derbi Yehoshua di lasharit le mimna' velashahit kamashma'ana and you perhaps would have said listen let's liken this Rabbi Yehoshua case to many of the cases we've seen presented in our Mishnah and Gemara until now in many of those cases what we've seen is there's a heter the rabbis are permitting again a rabbinically prohibited activity mishum simhat yom tov what do I mean by mishum simhat yom tov the words of the Gemara will be are mimna' velashahit if we don't permit this you won't slaughter similar to again the hides on the ground it's permitted because if we don't permit you to place them on the ground and allow for a quasi-ibud, uh, a rabbinic violation and walking over it again without kavanah and so on and so forth, but if we don't permit that, uh, a person's not going to be slaughtering. Maybe it should be the case over here. That's the Hidush of Rav Matna. En halacha kirbi Yoshua. So it's coming up, but wait a second. If en halacha kirbi Yoshua, and just in general, analyzing the first opinion of this Beraita, what is the difference? This is the question I prompted you with in the first minute. Well, what's the difference? You tell them when it comes to fats, no touch, don't go near it, just get it out of the way. You're not allowed to preserve it. You can't use it for your candles, for your soap, or anything after the holiday. I mean, you could if it doesn't get spoiled, but you're not allowed to preserve it even in a roundabout, indirect fashion. How come when it came to the hides, you were allowed to? Says the Gemara, umay shena. And why is this different then? Me'or dorsan from the hide, from the skin and leather of the animal, which is placed on the ground in the place where people are walking. Hatam answers the Gemara, la milta mishum Says the Gemara, it's a simple distinction. Hatam means over there in the context of the Orlifneha Dursan, la milta. 
it's not clear, it's not, it doesn't catch the eye immediately that the reason that the person is placing the, the hide down on the ground is so that it will help in the preservation and the working in of the leathers. Why? Mishum, because the hazeh, it's raui, it's susceptible, it's appropriate. Lemizga aleh, people would and could sit down on the ground when there's that leather to be sitting on. And as a result, the person looks at it, both the person who placed it and the person who encounters it and says, oh, why was that permitted? Because we could use it on the holiday. We're not only preserving it for after the holiday, we could use it on the holiday. And as a result, the people would say, why the rabbis allow for this? So it doesn't. It's so it uh, excuse me I, I I skipped ahead over here so mishum de the reason it's permitted in that circumstance is because it doesn't catch the eye immediately what's taking place hacha in our circumstance in contrast in the halev in the fat people would immediately come to say after all what is that fat being used for on the holiday prior to its preservation absolutely nothing there's no sitting on it there's no lighting it on the holiday there's no using it it's just being preserved. People will say, the reason the rabbis permitted it is so it doesn't get uh, spoiled, so it doesn't get, uh, so it doesn't deteriorate. And in turn, they would, you would, I would say to ourselves, what's the difference if I'm spreading it out as Rabbi Yoshua told us to do? What's the difference alternatively if I actually go ahead and salt it, which we don't and, and are forbidding entirely? Yes, Jeff? Then it's Sorech Yom Tov, then there's no question. Right? Then it's not Simchat Yom Tov, then it's Sorech Yom Tov. If you're going to preserve it for usage on the holiday, that would be permitted. Apparently, I'm, I'm with you on this, apparently the preservation would be longer or you wouldn't want to use it for what maybe it smelt initially, I'm not exactly sure. Um, that, that seems clear to me. Okay, so that's what the Gemara distinguishes. Before our next Mishnah, we set forth a very important principle. This principle, to a certain extent, is repeated on Daf Yod Zayin. It's the initial principles known as Ribui Bishi'urim, according to the majority view with regards to what this means. Um, well, let's read it and then comment upon it. Again, we've been talking about salting not only for preservation of the skin and leather, not only for the preservation of fats, but we've been talking about salting for the uh, eating of meat. And part of the slaughtering process is you slaughter, shahita, followed by melihah. You need to salt it in order to rid it, in order to empty it of the uh, forbidden uh, um, blood that's within it. Um, so the circumstances, an animal was slaughtered on the holiday and needs to have a melihah, needs to be salted. Uh, of course, you're allowed to do that. You're, you're salting in order to eat, you're not salting it for preservation for after the holiday. But let's imagine as well, there's many pieces of meat. Are you allowed to salt all of them even with the knowledge, clear knowledge, clear understanding that I'm only eating this amount of meat, not that amount of meat. One piece, and there's 20 pieces of meat. One uh, uh, thigh, and you have, uh, you have the rest of the animal. 
What would the halacha be in such a circumstance? The statement of Shemuel is, as long as it's all being done at once, that's what we call ribui b'shi'urim. Ribui, of course, means to increase. Shi'urim means measurement. Ultimately speaking, your tirha, your exertion in this circumstance is one. I'm taking salt and I'm spreading it over and I'm immersing all of this at once. I'm not taking a piece and immersing it in a piece. And I'm doing it all at once. That's permitted. The, Mishta, the Gemara later on, Daf Yodzain, gives a few other examples. Among them is a woman is allowed, the Gemara says a woman, a woman is allowed to place inside her pot many pieces of meat while she's cooking them. But her intention is to only eat one of them and she's going to keep the rest for Mosei Yom Tov, or the week after Yom Tov. You don't need that over here. Uh, in other words, ribui b'shi'urim is permitted. We'll deal with such realities when we get there in terms of, uh, in terms of the necessity of that. But ribui b'shi'urim is permitted in this. The Gemara talks about a nahtom. It talks about a baker, a, a, a cook who does something similar in this respect. That's permitted. Again, the tirha, the exertion that's being entered into this, that's being placed into this activity is not more because you have more matters. One action which was going to be done Anyway, so the next. Doesn't per se have to be that you just threw it all on at once. Oh, but the point is, it's all. It, this is not like the Kisui had done per se, but it has to be on one tray, all in front of you in that respect, in one pot, and you're placing them all in it in such a fashion. It's permitted. The next opinion here in the Gemara, and there's a dispute amongst the Aharonim to how to understand whether these two are disagreeing whether the second one is more lenient than the first, this conversation needs to be had, maybe on Daf Yodzai, maybe briefly here, says the Gemara, Rav Ahabar Ahava, his statement is, Ma'arim umalah garma garma. Leha'arim, the word ha'arama, we kind of already know from the Torah. Right, we know from the Nahash. The Nahash was arum, and ba'achicha bimirma, the words of Yitzhak to Esav, your son, your, your, front, your, your brother came in, well, I don't know, Unkalu says, knowledge with uh, wisdom. But yes, we do say, generally speaking, with a certain cunning and sly wet fashion. So ha'arama is a halachic concept, uh, which means, uh, so to speak, a loophole. Well, that's the best way to translate it. When does it come up as well? Of course, uh, in the upcoming holiday. We have ha'arama to a certain extent with regards to selling hametz. I mean, we have, have to take into account what's being done over there, how that's permitted to, being, to, be, to be done. Uh, I, I know it's got the full application, but ultimately speaking, we call that ha'arama, and any such situation is similar. When can you, when can you not? Those are conversations which, to a certain extent, do begin with this gemara, because the gemara over here, or, or get extended by this Gemara, says, Ma'arim umalah garma garma, which means to say you're allowed to be cunning, you're allowed to be sly in the way that you do the miliha garma. We saw that word already on the last Amud. Uh, garma is a bone. You're allowed to take bone by bone and be moleh. Well, what's the cunning side? That's just straight up asur. The idea is you'll take each one and you'll look at it and you'll say, all right, I think I'm going to eat this one and you'll salt it. And then you'll look down at the pot and you say, oh, this one looks nicer. I like this one more. You place the other one on the side and you'll salt that one and so forth. It's a cunning way of saying, and then ultimately speaking, you can eat the last one. But as you went ahead, it's, it's a loophole. It's a ha'arama. It's permitted to be done in this circumstance. Again, you're not dealing with, per se, any sur from the Torah. That's very clear. So you're not doing ha'arama 
on a violation from the Torah. You are doing ha'aramag, and that word, that cunning action and that cunning direction in the context of simhat yom tov. In this circumstance, it's permitted. Is this more lenient than the earlier opinion or more stringent than the earlier opinion, the opinion of Shimuel of Ribui Bishi'urim? It might be, but uh, keep in mind, according to this, you have to have purposeful thought on each one of these. Whereas according to Shemuel, you don't even have that uh, purposeful thought. But yes, there is a permissibility. Are they disagreeing? What's that? I mean, other, uh, yeah, otherwise you weren't doing Melacha for Sorech Yom Tob at all. So, you know, that's, uh, you'd have to ultimately eat one of them. Understood. I was, uh, Jeffrey says, what happens if you don't eat? Tosafot is a deal, dealing with, what if you already ate so there's no chance of you eating? I think so. I think. That's what I said. I think. I was medactic in my words. Yes, if you have no intention of eating, forget about if you ultimately speaking eat. In other words, your meal is done. Tosafot says the ha'arama is not even a ha'arama at all. That wasn't sly. That was silly. That's nonsense. You're not planning on eating. But if you're planning on eating, if you didn't end up eating, all right, I mean, that's you, you did the wrong. I understand, but it's not as sly as you think, but imagine you have, that's true, imagine you have 30 pieces in front of you, it's still mutar. You couldn't pick out uh, one or two that you're going to eat. You actually had to go from one. Just miraculously, you didn't catch, didn't catch your eye. The thirtieth piece is the one that you wanted to eat. Say, so, hey, okay, that's that's the ha'arama, and that's what's permitted. Oh, okay. that that is that is pretty much the whole issue over here. In other words, you have this this melach, which is at most an isur midrabbanan, according to most in this context. Not when it's being done to skin and to to hide, so that's asur on the on the meat. It's at most midrabbanan, but what you're dealing with is tirhash elolasorich. The halacha over here is, I didn't realize I was doing tzedr What do you mean? I thought I was going to eat this piece. It's just real. I realized I was having this piece. Ha'arama is permitted. Again, in the moment, the person, you turn to them and say, why are you doing that? Oh, I might be eating. I want to eat this one. Then it's, oh, I changed my mind. I want to eat this one. So as a result, you kind of circumvented the issue of tirhash elol sorech in this uh, sly and cunning fashion. What is the difference between salting for naman and salting for flavor? I mean, if he's doing it as part of the bishul, there's no problem whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The issue only is in this context, as part of the slaughtering process, in order to be machshir, that it might be asumid rabbanan. But even that, we're not talking with any sumin hatorah. This is not me'abed ta'or, this is me'abed tabasar. It's only going to be a, a, a rabbinic violation. But again, we're permitting under these sorts of circumstances. We're permitting if it's going to be for the eating, for the consumption. It's certainly permitted. Right? Words, if it's a part of the process and you're going to eat it on the holiday, there's no question. The question is, I want to do more. That's our issue in this context. That's the next Mishnah. Bet Shammai omrim en mesalekin et aterisim b'yom tov betilel matirin af hazir. So this next Mishnah enters us into a sugya, which will deal with that famous concept of... Right, so we saw this Mishnah, and we discussed this Mishnah in a different context, and we'll, we'll, we'll remember in the Gemara how and why we did so, but it will enter us into, I'm just going to introduce it before we even read it in the Gemara, into the idea of, 
uh, of being matir sofa mishum tehilatam, which means to say, rabbinically speaking, the rabbis will, in circumstances, and it has to be addressed under what sorts of, in what sort of context they will do so, but they'll permit the action at the end of a process because they're interested in you getting involved at the beginning. And their fear is if they didn't allow for that final action, you never would have engaged in it in the first case. In contemporary today and, uh, and, and, and here circumstances, uh, the way this concept comes up, it's a mahloket between uh, some of the gedole ha'acharonim ha'poskim, is for example a hatzala uh, member. Can they drive home from the hospital after they brought the person to the hospital. I know what everyone's going to say, and you're all right about it. You need the car back in order to save other lives, and so on and so forth. But the beginning of the conversation is, is it permitted irrespective of that? Is it that the person will not be going to save the life of this individual if they're not allowed to come back to their family afterwards, if they can't come back to enjoy the rest of the holiday, the rest of Shabbat? That's where this, these words get entered into it. But you're going to see this is the beginning of it from this Mishnah. Why is the beginning of it from our Mishnah? Because the Mishnah, if you recall, was talking about those pop-up shops, those not attached to the ground situations. The halacha is that one of the 39 melachot, of the 39 melachot, we have what's called binyan and, sot, binyan and stira. You're not allowed to build and you're not allowed to deconstruct with the purpose of then constructing. So you're not allowed to tear down to build and you're not allowed to build uh, straight up. Those are melachot from the Torah. However, when I'm dealing with a keli, when I'm dealing with something that's not connected to the ground, so there's a dispute whether we apply these halachot of binyan and stira by kelim. That's on the back burner. It'll come up in the Gemara. Here we're talking about something that's not attached to the ground. And it's one of these, uh, these, these little booths or larger booths. And it has what's called tirisin. It has some sort of detachable window door item. And in order to open this and so that you can sell uh, tavlinim, so that you can sell spices without accepting the money on the holiday, uh, you'd have to open that door. Can you then, and that's what we're focused on for the moment, can you then, at the end of the day or during the day, place the door back on? Wait a second, the only reason we were permitting is because we want people to have tasty food. We want people to be having food over the course of the holidays so that you, as the shop owner, can provide them with the appropriate spices. Um, you're not allowed to put the door back on afterwards. Says the Mishnah, first and foremost, Bet Shammai says you can't even take off that door window item from the little booth. Continues the Mishnah says, Betilel Matiri, not only to take it off, but after the Hazir, even to place it back on. Now you understand why I began us in that conversation. It's from those words. Why Afla Hazir? That's not Zorich Yom Tob. That's what we call Hetiru Sofan. The rabbis permitted the final act. Mishum tehillatam, because of the initial act. We want you to be selling spices, want people to have access to spices over the course of the holiday. You're not going to open your shop if you have to then leave it open and anyone can come and take overnight and for the rest of the holiday and the rest of that. So as a result, they were matir sofan. Says the Gemara, let's deal with first the reality. My tirisin. What are these, these, uh, these, this, this, a blocker thing on the uh, on the booth. Uh, this is what I call door window type of item. Amar Ula, Ula explains what we already articulated. We stole it from him. Tirise Hanuyot. Period. It's a reference to these doors, uh, window doors, which would be the access to this shop. What they would do is they would take it off, place it in front, and put the spices out on that plank. 
That happens to be the reality. That's what we're dealing with. Later on in the Gemara, we'll deal with the specifics. How was it connected to the to the booth? Was it hinges? Was there one hinge? We'll deal with all those sorts of uh, issues later on. But first and foremost, what I told you about, Ve'amar Ula. Ula has the following statement. Furthermore, in this context and beyond, Shiloshad Devarim. He counts three situations, three matters, hetiru, where the rabbis permitted sofan mishum tehilatam. The final act, which is unnecessary for the purpose of permissibility, in other words, there's no reason for you to return home in order to save a life per se. There's no reason to place the door back on the hanut, the teris back on the hanut in order to give people spices. But the rabbis permitted it because were they not to permit it, their understanding was you never would have engaged in it. You would have said, I'm stuck in the hospital the rest of the day. I feel bad for that guy, but I can't give up my family and my holiday in order to save that person. You would say, I can't make your meal better because it's going to ruin my business. Ve'eluhen, here they are. Number one, or lifne hadursan. That's a case, of course, we've learned about in our last Mishnah. What's the situation? Not only were the rabbis permitting to slaughter, which of course is not a rabbinic permissibility, that's permitted. You're allowed to slaughter. But the rabbis said you're allowed to, furthermore, according to Beit Hillel, place the hide out on the ground afterwards. Why are you allowed to place the hide out on the ground? That's not aiding your sorech yom tov. That's not helping you in your happiness on the day. But the fear is if we don't permit sofan, you won't in turn slaughter at the beginning. You won't, uh, you, you won't enjoy the meat. Uh, the next one is that's Orlifneha Dorsan, Utrise Hanuyot, so one we just articulated our Mishnah. Lastly, Hazarat Ritiya Bamikdash. And what that means is returning a bandage when you are in the Mikdash. You see, bandages in the traditional sense came together with smoothing an ointment or some sort of medicinal uh, herb and items onto your skin. So if you had a bruise and you were then going to put the bandage on, you would be smoothing this thing onto it as well in order to, I guess uh, we still have that bacitracin of some sort. Now, if the smoothing is something that's not viscous, meaning it's a little bit more dense, you have a potential melacha min ha-Torah, which is called melechet memachek, which its derivative is melechet memareach. You're not allowed to smooth unviscous items onto anything. It's learned from the melacha that was done in the Mishkan, where they would be memachek. They smoothed out the skin of animals by shaving off the hair and making it fully smooth. In turn, you're not allowed to do that in any such circumstance. What about uh, bamikdash? What does bamikdash mean? Well, the circumstance is you're a kohen and you have avodah bamikdash. And uh, the Avodah Bamikdash just so happens to be that you're not allowed to have what's called Hatzitzah. You're not allowed to have anything that separates between your hand and your body and whatever you're doing. Uh, it needs to be direct. There can't be any barrier. And you have a bandage on your hand for argument's sake. So you need to take it off for the Avodah. But you're not going to take it off and you're not going to do the Avodah at all if you can't put it on afterwards. It's going to get infected and it's going to be all sorts of problems. I want, it, I want it to be cured. I'd rather abstain from Avodah or at the very least I'll, maybe I'll do... Well, it's not a, it's not a, it's a mumu'avir. That would be permitted, yeah. Um, so the halakha is that you're allowed to bamikdash, return the bandage after. You're allowed to return the bandage afterwards? I thought you said you're not allowed to do it. Hetiru sofan mishum tehilatam. Because they were interested in your engagement in the avodah as a kohen, they allowed for you then to replace it afterwards. All right, we'll have to deal with the specifics in each of these cases. Scott. What about the basics of measuring 
With regards to the Tirisin, our Mishnah? The store. Yeah. So the, the Gemara and Daf Kaftet deals with that and says that you're not allowed to engage in conversation about the prices. The person has takes a mental. I, I have to imagine this is all being done. I mean, not have to imagine. It's being done beforehand. It's all separated and dealt with appropriately, and that's the way it's going. It's, it's the, the Gemara addresses the transaction. No, I mean, Jeffrey says a lot of other potential issues. They had to be accounted for, and in turn, the rabbis permitted, and they, to the extent that the fear was you're not going to be cooking, your wife won't be cooking, because she won't have the spices, we'll assume or we'll make certain that this is all taken care, taken care of beforehand. That's right. All right. Says the Gemara, lastly, that was Ula counted those three cases. Lots of words, lots of concepts to, uh, to unpack over here. First and foremost, just technically, because Rashi spent so much space on this conversation, and it bears mention, Rehava is quoting in the name of someone named Rabbi Yehuda. We're a little bit surprised by that, because Rehava lived in Bavel, and anyone whose name is Ribi probably lives in Israel during that time period. So Rashi is a little uncertain, says there's an uncertainty. Rehava was uncertain who he heard this in the name of. Was it someone named Rav Yehuda? Was it the name of someone Ribi Yehuda? So he kind of merged the two. Which Ribi Yehuda would he be dealing with? Rashi says Ribi Yehuda Hanasi, that's the grandson of Ribi HaKadosh. Rashi is not so comfortable with this interpretation to the Gemara, he says instead. He's probably just, he has several reasons why he, he he, he disputes this matter. He says, La nihira, it's not, not clear, and rather he assumes that he's just quoting from Rav Yehuda. Regardless, here's the statement. Um, uh, the, the statement goes like this um, uh, So, in a circumstance where a person um, comes in contact with a, another who's known as an Amha Aret. The person is not knowledgeable in terms of halakha. We assume an Amha Aret is Tameh. And as a result, their handling of anything, both Terumot and Ma'asrot, which need to be kept uh, Tahor to a certain extent, but any food, uh, we have to assume that the food, after they touched it, has imparted from them a certain Tumah, became contaminated uh, ritually. Okay, so that's stage one. Amha Aret is Behizkat Tameh, and any food that they touch, we assume is However, and the Gemara Masechet Hagigan Daf Kavav is Doresh this from uh, from Pasuk and Sefer Shofetim. We'll reference it later in our Gemara from Rashi. It makes the Derasha that over the course of the holiday, when you find in Yerushalayim, when you find an Am Haaretz, we assume all Ame Haaretz over the course of the holiday are Tahor. Why do we assume so? That's what we assume. That's an important assumption. Why would you assume so? Harambam says because there's a mitzvah to be mitahir yourself before the holiday. We assume they followed that law. They might not throughout the year be so well versed and properly adherent to this. For the holiday they are. The question is, do we really believe that? Or do we say that over the course of the holiday, you wouldn't go up to Yerushalayim, you wouldn't be involved in uh, giving, uh, selling foods if Listen to it again. Over the course of the holiday, if then the person who's not knowledgeable, the Am Ha'aretz, is going to come and be rummaging through your food. Ah, now I can't sell anything more any longer. Is that as a result, we look at this situation and we say, 
we're willing to gamble the, on the fact that the Am Ha'aretz is Tahor in this circumstance. That's the way we're assuming right now. So let's just listen to this through. Important question. Important question. Just says, were they actually Tameh? Were they not? Keep in mind, it's all a Safek. Okay, but I, as, as we get into it tomorrow, we'll deal with it at greater length. But let me just tell you what the issue specifically is over here. So I, as a merchant, have opened up my produce over the course of the holiday. And the Ameha Aretz have come and they've rummaged through it. And over the course of the holiday, everything is Tahor. And everyone's aware of that. That's the Halakha. The holiday ends. And I have leftover produce, plenty. I didn't sell all my apples and uh, all of my uh, pineapples and so forth. But they were all touched and rummaged by the Ameha Aretz. The holiday's over, and I was like, oh, gee whiz, Ameha Aretz are not actually Tahor. No, but yesterday they were. Yesterday we treated them as Tahor. What is the status of all that produce going forward? Can I sell it with the assumption and people buy it that it's Tahor or not? The statement of... The assumption is that it's Tahor on the holiday with a wink. It wasn't actually Tahor, we're willing to assume it's Tahor. And therefore, retroactively, uh, doesn't uh, it now becomes Tameh. That's the question, that's the dispute between Rabbi Uda and Chachamim. Chachamim maintain like Nathan, they say, listen, the holiday is over, you're over you're, you're, the, the produce that you have that wasn't sold is now Tameh. Rabbi Uda says, wait a second, listen to it carefully. If we don't call this Tahor now, nobody's going to be s- s- uh, switching hands and produce on the holiday. That's case number four. We'll return to deal with and analyze each of these tomorrow.